1: First pitch, twitching. Deep left field, this is what Got a fantasy question? Email baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league.
0: Where fantasy becomes real.
1: Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
0: First half of the season was incredible from Shohei Otani to Ronald Acuna, and now Ellie De La Cruz. Let's talk about it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, July 12th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Chris Towers. And guess who's back? Back again. It's Scott White. The crowd goes wild. (sighs) Welcome back, Scotty. How was vacation?
2: It was good. Yeah, nice, nice long vacation in the middle of the summer with the kids. We took them all over the state of Florida, actually went as far west. We I mean, spent most of the trip like in the Pensacola area, which is as, about as far west in Florida as you could go. So we traveled both lengths of the state, which is a really long way. It turns out it's like 10-hour drive. Florida, Florida's a tough drive
3: yeah like, that's like that's one of the things when you live in south florida your whole life is that like it's just like seven hours to get out of the state it takes forever yeah
2: that's if you go the one length yeah that's we just went if you went both up. of the lengths
3: yeah and you you, you turn at gainesville
2: <laughs> yeah yeah It's uh. you know so it was good spent a lot of time at the beach of course but did some other things along the way went in the cave I pet a horse. <laughs> I uh, I didn't ride the horse. I just pet the horse. Actually, like three horses. It was a whole it was a whole barn of horses. And gosh, what else did I is do? Is
3: that the term for it? Uh, a barn of horses?
2: Like Staple of, of crows? horses? I don't know. I don't know what a group of horses, a gallop of horses. I don't know. But yeah, no, it was a good time. Hopefully you guys... Didn't miss me too much. Oh, I don't know. we did, Scott. And it, it sure seemed like a lot was happening. You know, I tried <laughs> to take off during a time when I'm going to be missed the least. And and no, like everything I, I I, you know, I guess it's just maybe it was just the normal amount of stuff happened. But when you're not plugged in and commenting on it every day, it seems like a lot from afar. Mike Trout breaking his hand and. Alec Manoa coming back and looking more or less like Alec Manoa again, and Andrew Abbott having his best start and then having his worst start, and <laughs> yeah, just a lot, lot happening.
0: Yeah, Corbin Carroll's arm almost falling off. (laughs) (laughs) Led that that happened before I left, and then it happened again. Two different, two different Corbin Carroll scares. (laughs) That's crazy stuff. Uh, But we are happy to have you back, Chris. Did you research the group of horses? Because I couldn't find anything. Is it a herd? Uh, I I found a team. Okay. Uh, Harris,
3: a rag, uh, or a string. I don't... This is according to the Farmer's Almanac. They would know. If anybody would know, the Farmer's Almanac would know.
0: I think they would. If anyone out there knows what the group of horses is called, let us know. Because, obviously, uh, I have no idea what's going on. It's a herd if they're wild. Today on the show, we're going to recap the first half. Uh, How do league-wide trends compare to years past so far this season? And the biggest surprises at each position... We'll uh, look at both the good and the bad. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Let's get into it and talk about trends so far this season and what does it all mean. Remember, early in the year, we were trying to figure out batting average and BABIP and home run to fly ball ratio. What's going on? Well, now we have a little bit more data. So far this season, a 2.48 batting average collectively across baseball with a 2.97 BABIP. and frankly, I thought it was going to be higher than that. It felt like earlier in the season it was so much higher, but if you look month by month, it really hasn't been above 2.50 in every any month this season. It is higher compared to years past if you look at last year it was 243 batting average and a 290 babip so batting average up 5 points this year babip up 7 points and in 2021 .244 uh, 244 batting average 292 babip so the previous two years were pretty similar and then this year it has been up a little bit but Scott i think at least for me i kind of felt like batting average and babip would would have been higher than it's been so far this season but teams are smart they're probably finding ways to you know semi shift and take hits away still so uh, maybe it's not that surprising. What do you think?
2: I mean, I, I think you're understating the significance of a seven-point increase in BABIP. Like, during the heyday of BABIP, the understanding was that a average BABIP is 300, which is close. We're much closer to that this year, 297. But in recent years, it had crept down to, like, 290 was the average BABIP. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I think we're trending back more toward a place of normality here after uh the the lack of success on balls in play in recent years. I, I think it's been I don't know. I, I saw an article, I think it was on baseball prospectus saying, oh, the shift has been a failure because it's it's helped certain guys, but it's helped the wrong guys. And like they didn't help that it was they did they didn't like that it was helping uh like slow-footed left-handed mashers primarily. And I was like, well wait, that's isn't that what everybody said it was going to help? Yeah, I, I don't understand. Be, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really get the angle they were taking, but they, they were taking it as, see, here's why it was a bad idea and it didn't work. But my takeaway from reading the article was, no, it sounds like it worked exactly like it was supposed to. So I don't know. I've been pretty satisfied with it.
0: Yeah, I would say in general, the rule changes that they've made this year have been mostly good. I, I think it's been good for the game. Batting averages up a little bit. The steals, it's made things a little bit more fun. Ellie De La Cruz just running whenever he wants. Um, yeah, I think it's obviously the pitch clock has been, I think a great success as well. Let's move over to home runs. The home run to fly ball rate this year is 12.3% compared to 11.4% last year. So it is up, but not up as much as it was back in 2021, which was, I would say probably the last true kind of juice ball year that we've had over the past, whatever, five to seven years. Um, but Chris, it was a little bit surprising to me. I know home runs were up early this year, but it has remained. They're up compared to last year, but not as high as they have been back in 2021.
3: Which is, I, I think, a happy medium. You know, I, I I think the the juiced ball leading to every second baseman hitting 20 homers was, was not a great equilibrium. It wasn't rewarding talent. And, and I think the the overall equilibrium here between the shift changes and the, and the juice ball and the, the pickoffs has created a, a wider base of skills that are rewarded within the, the game. And, and I think that's overall good. I think for fantasy, one thing that's annoying is just that the fact that the ball is what it is now doesn't necessarily mean it will be this next year, or frankly in August, <laughs> you know, based on what we've seen or, or, if you believe some of the reporting for one team versus another, like it's just the, that's the one thing that that will remain, I think an, a known unknown as we move is just what is the baseball going to look like? I, I, if it was this version of the baseball, you know, 12.3 home run to fly ball ratio, that seems like a good spot to be in. You know, it's not too low. It's not too high. Like when it was like 15% league wide, that was too much that is rewarding too much fly ball and then too much all or nothing offense. But, you know, obviously I don't think we want a dead ball where, you know, guys are crushing the ball and it's dead at the warning track. So I think this is a, this is a fine equilibrium. It's just from our perspective, the 12.3% home run to fly ball ratio that we're seeing now, who knows what that's going to be next season. We can hope that they'll standardize it, but we know that they're experimenting with the sticky baseball at the in the Southern League, I think is just where they're using it right now. And although
2: that's that's over, it was just a first half experiment.
3: OK, so that that's one that they probably won't do next year. But I would imagine we're going to get some version of a different baseball in the majors in the next couple of seasons. And we'll have to figure out what the impact of that is going to be. But but this is one of the biggest lessons of the past few seasons is just how much seemingly minute changes in the shape and manufacturing of the baseball makes significant differences in the way the game's played in a way that like frankly makes you question well, baseball history that's, like that's how much of the steroid era was a juiced ball era which was yeah, obviously a thing that people thought at the time too
0: let's slide over to stolen bases we already have two players with 40 plus steals hmm. this year Esther ruiz and ronald acuña uh, there are currently eight players on pace for uh, 40 plus steals overall this year. And if you look back at the past couple of seasons, only one player had more than 40 steals last year. It was John Birdie with 41 and two players with 40 plus steals back in 2021. That was Starling Marte with 47 and Whitmerry Field with 40. So obviously on an individual basis, it's helping the league leaders in terms of steals. But even if you just look at league-wide trends, how many steals are we on pace for this season? the most stolen bases since 1987. That's crazy. I mean, that's kind of what we heard coming into the season. We're going to see the most steals in baseball since the 80s. And that's exactly what we're on pace for right now. So it is pretty uh, pretty crazy stuff. For the other two numbers, uh, our high, highest batting average this season since 2019 and more home runs than last year. Um, but obviously not as many as back in 2021. Where I think the league-wide trends matter even more is on the pitching side. So... This year, collective ERA of 4.29 and a 131 whip. That's way up from last season where we had mm-hmm. a 397 ERA and a 127 whip. It, clearly we had some kind of dead in baseball and we had just a glut of great starting pitchers last year in fantasy baseball. Back in 2021 with the juice ball, when we still had a much higher home run to fly ball ratio than we do right now, we actually had a lower ERA and a lower whip than we do now. So I find that interesting because even though we have less home runs, the batting average and the BABIP and the steals on top of all of that, and maybe the pitch clock, you know, kind of factoring in too, has led to a higher ERA and higher whip than the last time we saw juice ball back in 2021. That's really interesting to me.
2: I mean, it, it shows you the impact those other change changes have on, on the state of offense and on the state of pitching, uh, because for a while there, and, and, and Chris, this is something Chris has talked about a lot over the years, like it, it seemed like the game was, I don't want to say broken, but the game had changed in a way that couldn't be fixed because pitchers had gotten so good that really the only way to generate offense against them was to hit home runs. And I think now we're seeing that's not necessarily true. And that is that is for the good of baseball. Like I I think because – we're, we're halfway through the season now it's been something that's played out gradually and we've kind of you know we're, we're 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 kind of in the slow boil you know the frog in the boiling pot slowly brought up to a boil as opposed to drop right in and, and so we're, we've kind of just grown accustomed to this new environment in a way so that it doesn't feel as jarring but things have changed and it feels normal now but this is not normal. This is very different from what we've seen in recent years. And I, and I think it's a good, good change.
0: To build off what you were just saying, it was the elite pitchers had separated themselves so far from everyone else in the pack, right? That I remember when was it two or three years ago, Scott? You were just, I think it was all of your early round picks one year and tout wars were like starting pitchers.
2: You mm-hmm. actually wound up winning that year. That was the year one, yeah.
0: <laughs> but basically, and, and I don't know what the advice technically is to give. It just feels like pitching is a little bit more unpredictable at this point yes. because you can't just say, well, okay, if this is how things are going to be moving forward, that I'll just load up on starting pitching early on in drafts so that I can, you know, get that foundation. But even pitchers that were drafted early this year, there's been a lot of names that have let us down, right? Sandy Alcantara, Aaron Nola, just looking up and down the list, like Zach Wheeler, we still, we're still we kind of waiting for him to, for everything to click. But he's kind of been a bit of a letdown. Justin Verlander, Corbin Burns has been a bit of a letdown. So it's not just, hey, draft is more elite starting pitching because it's been a little bit more unpredictable this year compared to years past.
2: It's, it's, It's introduced a lot more variability to the pitching ranks. And so I guess if there's a negative in the fantasy game to these changes, that's it. But I don't know that in a, in a broad sense, that is a negative, because that is also returning us to a more familiar uh, like if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're just considering the entire history of fantasy baseball, avoiding pitchers early was a long-standing time-tested strategy. That's why I had to be so vocal when I started going the other way, is because reprogramming people out of that long-standing philosophy of pitchers are too volatile. They're going to break your heart if you invest in early round picking them. But I think we're back to that now. It, it, it's just just like we're kind of back to a more familiar home run distribution and uh, stolen bases not being so insanely scarce that everybody who's capable of giving you 20 automatically is pushed into the early rounds. I, I think we're also back to a state at pitching where, yeah, you just have to accept a certain amount of volatility there and be careful not to invest too much in it. And and it's particularly early to make that point in a in a numerical
3: way, I, I want. I was sorry, I was silent for a few minutes because I was doing some research. But what I wanted to look at, my hypothesis was that in twenty twenty one, you know, the, the league wide ERA was basically the same as it is right now. It was 0.02 runs lower. The whip was point zero one uh, whips lower. I don't know what an individual unit of whip would be, but uh, the, the hypothesis that I had was that while the overall ERA was similar, the ERA of fantasy relevant pitchers in 2021 was likely much lower than it currently is because remember in 2021, so few pitchers threw 180 innings that like a lot of bad pitchers had to pitch a lot in 2021 that wouldn't necessarily happen in a season like this. And that is borne out in the data where you look at the overall uh, numbers and the ERA is 4.29 this year, 4.27 in 2021. However, the ERA for qualifying pitchers only in 2021 was 3.61. This season it's 3.83. So that just tells you that there are more innings being thrown regularly that are less qual- lower quality than they were in 2021. So the while the ERA overall is probably pretty similar, I would guess that the fantasy relevant ERAs are actually quite a bit higher this season.
0: Yeah, and I think we have seen that play out with just some of the high-end names that I just mentioned, the names that we've talked about all season, kind of uh, letting us down up to this point uh, in the first half. How are saves being distributed so far? It's actually been a really good season for saves. Uh, Nine players with 20-plus saves at the break, 26 with 10-plus saves in the first half. Last year, it was only six at the break with 20-plus. 2021, it was also just six with 20-plus saves in that first half. So it feels like there are more reliable, high-end closers this year. Maybe it's just a lack of injuries or a few more coaches just trusting in the back end of their bullpen. There were a few names that instantly stood out for me. The Reds, for the past couple of years, they couldn't find anybody to rely mm-hmm. on. Now they have a lockdown closer in Alexis, Alexis
3: Diaz. your number two closer reliever in fantasy baseball right now. No, there sure. was a... A great tweet from Ryan Bloomfield from Baseball HQ earlier today comparing relief pitcher ADP to where they rank. And among the top, I think it's top 15 that he pulled out in ADP, all but two of the top 15 relievers in ADP are currently top 24 relievers in fantasy ranking. Number 24 is Rysel Iglesias. He has a good excuse. He got hurt. Scott Barlow and Ryan Helsley were also top fifteen in ADP, and Helsley's gotten hurt. Barlow just hasn't been good. Um, but yeah, that's uh, Barlow Bar- Bar- got hurt. Uh, so yeah, the, the Royals just haven't
2: been good. Is the the, main the
3: really good relief pitchers—it's it, a very much a haves and have-nots uh, position now. But like, it does seem like the closers who are good, you can actually rely on them now. It's just there are fewer of them than there used to be.
0: You know, compared to, I guess, whatever, a decade ago. But at, so far this year, it does feel like it's been better than, than previous yeah. years. Trending
2: trending a positive direction again for fantasy. Correct. Uh, so, like, it's it's nothing but good news here, which is comforting given how we felt for most of April, how we felt particularly for, for the first couple weeks when it seemed like nothing was going the way we expected. And, and then... Can I uh, show
3: one more, tell one more stat? Sure. Another bloom hashtag Bloomboards, Ryan Bloomfield uh, of the top 15 starting pitchers in ADP. It looks like nine of them are top 36 starting pitchers. Now that's not great. Corbin Burns being the number 35 starting pitcher. You'd prefer better than that from your number three starting pitcher taken, but Hey, we'll take that. That's not a bad hit rate. That's about two thirds who have been very usable. Pitchers 16 through 30 in ADP, looks like one, two, three, four, five, six have been top 36 starting pitchers. Ugh. And everyone else has just been a disaster. I mean, Alec Manoa ranks 250th. Dylan Cease ranks 73rd. Julio Arias, 67th. You know, some injuries in there, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's more the Aces haven't been great, but they've been a <clears throat> relatively reliable, at least compared to that next tier at the position.
2: Have they been good enough to justify the cost, though, I guess, is what...
3: No, not think. not when Garrett Cole... I mean, Garrett Cole's been fine, but, like, Corbin Burns is the 12th overall pick in ADP. That's...
2: Yeah. That's hard to stop. Spencer and, Strider has been. He has, yeah. You know, it'll, it'll be sure. interesting to look back, because half a season is still only half a yes. season. Dylan Cease tent seems to be trending a better direction now, and, and he's not alone among that group of starting pitchers. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how it ultimately looks at the end. But... I mean, I I, I still think the, the, the takeaway for me when it comes to hitting versus pitching is to lean into the volatility at pitcher and try to piece together a staff, staff with upside arms and emerging waiver wire options as the season's playing out, at least in like 12-team leagues or fewer. In a 15-team league, you know, it's been really hard to get pitchers off the waiver wire but most people don't play in that format so uh, I would say the sort of shallower league that most people do play in you don't have to invest heavily at starting pitcher and in fact the, the league where I'm doing best my, my best league this year where I'm far and away number one in points I the only like I, I think the only pitcher I it was it was a, it was a salary cap draft the only starting pitcher I invested in, heavily in was Sandy Alcantara <laughs> who hasn't even been good And then all the other pitchers I took were 2 or $3 guys. And, you know, obviously they're not still on my team. I traded them out for waiver wire options over the course of the year. But that's been my best team so far. And it's a points league where you think pitching matters even more. You know, there's enough emerging options. There's enough volatility in a good way that you don't have to make a heavy investment there.
0: Yeah, I think you're on to something, Scott. If you're diligent on the waiver wire, even in my most important league, it is a 15-team league. And I didn't take a starting pitcher until round five. And that was for Valdez, which he wasn't even a main target of mine. I just kind of lucked into he was like the best starting pitcher available at that point in the draft. And then I got Lazardo and Kodai Senga, who, you know, for where they were drafted, they've provided a lot of value this year. And then I picked up Kyle Hendricks and Ranger Suarez and Michael Walker has been really good and Bryce Miller was good while he was, you know, not hurt. So, you know, if you are diligent, there's still ways to kind of piece together a pitching staff. So I I do think you might be onto something there. Let's take
2: our first break. Uh, Before I take the break, can I just give you a few scattered thoughts that have come up as we've moved on from them? Sure. (laughs) Unrelated to each other, but related to stuff we've already said. Okay. So one of them is with the number of uh, consistent closers with them appearing to be on the rise again. You think of the teams that we most avoided in the past because of volatility there in the late innings and just how consistent they've become. I mean, the Rays have been as predictable as any team this year. When Pete, Peter Fairbanks has been healthy, he's gotten saves. When he hasn't mm-hmm. been healthy, Jason Adams gotten saves. And, and like they, they've been as consistent as anybody. The Giants with Camilo Duvall, him emerging as. Uh, a clear cut closer. There's another team too like that.
0: The Reds Cameron. we brought up before.
3: I mean, part part, part of it Williams is just
2: Church. those guys have been really good. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and well, and well the Rays have had really good relievers. Well, yeah. In the past the, the Rays are the one different. extent. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so that's that's point one, and and I think that's a positive development, as I said. Point two, in terms of home run to fly ball rate being up from last year. Remember, part of the reason we were freaking out in April is because it was way up comparing April to April. April usually being the, the worst month for home runs. And it was over a 12% home run to fly ball rate, which was higher than the overall home run mm-hmm. to fly ball rate from 2021. Well, what's weird about this year is the home run to fly ball rate month to month hasn't really changed that much. It's been between 12 and 13% every single month, April, May, June, July. July is the highest, but it's still less than 13%. That's a that small al- sample size. Was for July, yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of makes me wonder if maybe something's going on with the humidor settings. Maybe they realize. Well, yeah,
3: maybe maybe they just realized, change the relative humidity during those months. Yeah, it's
2: certainly possible. I don't know. If if that's what happened. But if if we are going to see home run consistency from month to month, that's a positive development, too. That's I I think the biggest thing when we talk about this, honestly,
3: juiced ball, not juiced ball. I don't really care. I have my personal preference. I think a more balanced game is better. But like as long as it's consistent and predictable, I think that is much better than the, the status quo of the last five years where it's just bounced wildly between you know, various ranges.
2: And, and so hopefully it's just predictable moving forward. The third and final point I wanted to bring up, I made reference to Cecil Fielder's 51 homer season. I made reference to Kevin Mitchell's 47 home run season. Neither of those happened in the 1987 season <laughs> I was referring to. Uh, they did happen, but not that exact year where home runs were way up. Other players hit a lot of home runs that year. So I just wanted to correct myself there and point out that, uh, uh, relying on memory is not always successful as, as the new online sensation, <laughs> immaculate grid is showing us all Bobby Bonilla didn't make an all-star team for the Orioles. And I thought he did.
0: Uh, how could you, Scott? I gave up. I gave up on immaculate grid, Scott. That's something else that happened while while you were away. That's uh, honestly a big development. I gave up. I'm going
3: family feud style. Everybody's like, Oh, I'm going to see the lowest score I can get. No, screw that.
0: I'm trying to get 70% on every one of my picks. (laughs) I'm going for the most obvious ones possible. I love it. Let's take our first break. And when we return some quick news and notes and the biggest surprises at each position, we'll do that here on fantasy baseball today.
1: This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Welcome back and a quick reminder to join our Facebook group. If you haven't already at facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today, or just search fantasy baseball today on Facebook and you should be able to find it. You can interact with other listeners, ask your questions, waiver wire, trades, dynasty it's a fun community make sure to join in and if you're watching us on youtube scan that qr code that will take you right to the website where again you can join our fantasy baseball today facebook group the news and notes jordan romano left the all-star game after dealing with tightness in his lower back hope everything is all right but if he does have to miss time eric swanson looks like he would be the next man up in toronto look keep an eye on nate
3: pierce he got a save the other day. I think it was like an inning and a third. Um, I think Jimmy Garcia also got his first save of the season within the last week. Uh,
0: they might have yeah. been on the same day, Chris. I think it was a doubleheader. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think, but like, I think
3: Swanson, he's, he's just been the best reliever there. But it wouldn't surprise me if they gave uh, Nate Pearson an opportunity if Jordan Romano does if. miss time. Hopefully, Here's it's a
2: big if. I, I think he's yeah. probably fine.
0: Let's hope so. Luis Robert experienced tightness in his right calf during the first round of the home run Derby. So I hope he's all right, too. Uh, Ray's prospects got something else that you missed while you were gone. Jonathan Aranda. He got called up and he's already been optioned back to (sighs) triple on Tuesday as Josh Lowe was reinstated from the family emergency list. They guys are annoying that guy. Yeah. Aranda's just, Senate. he's crushing it in the minors. There's nothing else he needs to do in the minor leagues, so and, I, I don't know.
2: Like, he's, he's always stood out for, like, his hit tool, his uh, plate discipline, both in terms of strikeouts and walks. Not many strikeouts, a lot of walks. Now that we have exit velocity data for, for AAA, like, the guy hits the ball really hard. His, his average exit velocity is over 91 miles per hour, at least last I checked. Uh, so relying on memory, again, always dangerous. <laughs> But yeah, Jonathan Aranda, and, and he can play, you know, second base, first base, third base. Come on, Rays. I know you got oh. a good lineup as it is, but Aranda could make it better.
3: Don't worry. The Rays have another top prospect coming up. He's 20 years old at A, Junior Caminero, who was in the Futures game. We'll see him in 2025, the way they treat their prospects.
0: And two other names we haven't even mentioned yet, Curtis Mead and uh, Kyle Manzardo, who are still in their organization as well. So those guys have been a little bit of a letdown in the minor leagues this season, but you know, as much as we bash the Rays, they're a smart organization, man. They trade them to the Marlins. They win games, so it's like, yeah, we want to bash them, but hey, eh, they know what they're doing. Hyunjin never won the big one, Frank. That's fair. Hyunjin Ryu has looked sharp in his two rehab starts thus far, allowing just one earned run over seven innings pitched, with six strikeouts to zero walks. He's nine percent rostered. We haven't seen him be fantasy relevant since, I believe, 2021 or 2020. So it's been a while, uh, but maybe a name to watch there in deeper leagues. In MRI on Tommy Pham's right groin came back negative. He left Sunday's game with the injury, but sounds like he should be good to go. Johnny Cueto was activated by the Marlins, and apparently they plan to use him out of the bullpen initially. Yeah.
3: Craig Mish said, "If he wasn't getting paid eight million dollars, he'd already be a free agent." Ah,
0: poor. (laughs) I can't say poor Johnny Cueto. Good for Johnny Cueto.
3: He's he's making very, very, very wealthy Johnny Cueto. But yeah, he he had
0: like a nine ERA during his uh, Uh, time in the minors, I believe. Well, we'll always have twenty twenty two with the Chicago White Sox. That was fun. Josh Donaldson is nursing a lower body issue, and it looked like he tweaked his calf on Sunday. If he has to miss any time, perhaps we see Oswald Peraza back with the Yankees in the second half. Speaking of the Yankees, they needed a scapegoat, so they fired their hitting coach and they hired former major leaguer Sean Casey for the role. Mm, it's his first major league coaching job. So the mayor. Let's go, Sean Casey. Great nickname. Let's uh, let's let's get a jersey on that guy. <laughs> it can't be much worse than uh, the other names that they're throwing out there. Anywho, let's get into the biggest surprises in the first half of the season. I did not anticipate getting to uh, only getting to this with. You know, like 20 minutes left in the podcast, but you know, we'll do our best. At, it's the FPT podcast, baby. That's basically it. At first base, we'll start with the pleasant surprise. Yandi Diaz, seventh best first baseman in rodo so far this year, averaging 3.4 fantasy points per game, 323 batting average with 13 home runs. He had an ADP of 233 coming into the season. He's crushing the ball, 94.7 average exit velocity. The problem, which I've noticed, is he only has one home run since the start of June, and his ground ball rate has crept all the way back up to 52.5%. Chris, what do we do
2: with the end? He has two home runs since the start of June because he just hit one in the All-Star game, Uh,
0: baby.
3: You are correct. He had gone from May 26th to July 9th without a home run. Uh, His production in that stint wasn't terrible. He still hit three twenty-six in the month of june it was just no power which is more of what we've come to expect from Yandi diaz throughout his career and yeah all of a sudden his ground ball rate's actually higher that yeah. was last season um
2: and that, and that was something i noticed as it was happening ground ball rate month to month for Yandi diaz has gone 43 48.5 58.4 77.3 in july fair. so it's uh uh so that one fly ball he hit got out i guess <laughs> it's yeah. i don't know what to like i don't know what to do with it because first base has so little to get excited about after the obvious top five especially with like Vinny pasquantino going down so like you know are, how are you how are you go, you're, you're going to get rid of yandy diaz yeah. trade him or whatever and, and yeah. do better at first base probably not
0: yeah, there, uh, I mean, like there's not if much. You could
3: get Vlad Jr.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. But that's but one of the obvious top thoughts. That's but. maybe
3: like I could see Nate La- Nate Lowe being better in the second half than he was in the first. The powers pretty much disappeared for him, but it, you know, it's possible, it, yeah. but like I'm
2: not willing to bet on it either.
3: Yeah, no, that's I I agree with that. It's 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 hard to come like maybe if you traded him for an upgrade somewhere else and you had Spencer Torkelson, who I think we all kind of like as a if you want to define as a sleeper or breakout, you know, I think we think better days are ahead for, for Spencer Torkelson, but yeah, it's, it's the wrong time to try to sell Yandy Diaz.
0: There's not much actionable with Yandy Diaz right now. I I think I would probably just stick with him. The batting average and the OBP has still been really, really good. And he leads off for one of the best lineups in baseball. Um, I was looking into Nate Lau, actually Nate Lowe, Lowe, Nate Nate Lowe. Lowe. Wow. I just lost it there for a second. Um, Nate and Josh Lowe, Brandon Lau. (laughs) Gosh, you, you could tell the seasons is wearing on me. This is supposed to be the reset time, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of just losing it right now. But uh, Nate Lowe, I was looking into him. He was much more aggressive last year, and for some mm-hmm. reason, he kind of changed that approach back yep. to where he was before. And he's hitting some ground balls. It's based on what he's done in the first half. I, I don't have faith that he's going to get back to the player he was last year unless he makes some big changes. So I just wanted to throw that out there for Nate Low, uh, Jose Abreu. He was one of the unpleasant surprises at the first base position drafted as the sixth first baseman off the board in ADP just inside the top 80 picks. And we know it's been a disappointing year, but there has been signs of life since the start of June 277 batting average six home runs a 779 OPS. He's hitting the ball much harder. And I feel I feel a lot better, obviously, about, you know, heading into the second half, hitting in the middle of that Astros lineup. Uh, I moved Jose Abreu back up inside my top 15 first baseman. You know, he's not like a slam dunk starter, but I, I do feel better if I held on to him as like a corner infielder for the second half. Well,
2: I, I picked him up in the podcast for the People League. That's a 16-teamer, and he was dropped. So I, I was fine picking him up for a nominal sum. And we're still talking his hottest stretch of the season. He has a sub 800 OPS. So I'm not expecting great things from Jose Abreu, but he's at least proven that there may you may still get some use out of him mm-hmm. at that Position we just talked about being very thin you say you moved him back into the top 15 at a thin position Yeah, which I think is fine.
0: Let's slide over to second base. The two biggest surprises by my estimation Jonathan India is the fourth best second baseman in roto He's averaging 3.2 fantasy points per game and Cattel Marte the fifth best second baseman his ADP was outside of the top uh no, it was close to 200, 196.2 coming into the year. Uh, Jonathan India, 13 homers, 12 steals. Ketel Marte, batting averages back up, lots of power. He's on pace for 110 runs scored as well. Uh, I guess the one downside with both of these guys, Chris, is that India, since they moved him to the middle of the lineup, it seems like he's trying to sell out for power and he's hit for mm-hmm. a lot less batting average. And Ketel Marte... You know he's kind of dealt with this back injury off and on yep. in the past couple of days, so I hope he's all right. You know, reset at the at the All Star break, um, but overall both of these guys have been pleasant surprises.
3: Yeah, and in India we talked about this I think last week, but India has talked pretty openly about the uncertainty around his long term fit with Cincinnati and and really his short term fit with McLean and De la Cruz and obviously Noel V Marte and and you know I think they've got a couple other. Uh, Middle infield or infield prospects on the way that like he's talked about. I've been here for relative to his teammates a a long time and he doesn't really know where he fits. And it's it's a weird situation that I think could be affecting him as well.
0: The bad at second base has been Andres Jimenez. He was drafted as the seventh second baseman off the board in ADP of 82, but similar to Jose Abreu, has turned it around a bit. His last 25 games, 270 batting average with four home runs, eight steals, and an 842 OPS. You know, pretty impressive stuff there. Uh, Scott, any thoughts here on Andres Jimenez turning it around over the past month?
2: Yeah, he might, he might be worth... I don't know, pro- probably just in middle infield leagues, like a standard Roto League. Is he worth picking up again? I don't think he's to the point where he's worth adding in, in leagues that just have like a standard nine-man lineup with no middle infield spot, whether you're talking head-to-head points or even head-to-head categories. He could get back there. And like in Roto Leagues, he probably never dropped in the first place, right? Yeah, he's still uh,
0: he's still 90% rostered. So it would have to be, I guess, do you have enough confidence in, in him to make a trade for the second half, basically.
2: Oh gosh, I'm surprised he's still so rostered. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was talking about dropping him in May. Mabel didn't listen. Um, okay. No, probably not. I, I think one thing I've noticed, and uh, let's see, when I did my last redraft of the first two rounds for the second half, I mentioned this with regards to, to Trey Turner. I left him out of my redraft for the first two rounds, rest of season because the thing is stolen bases have become so prevalent that somebody like Andres Jimenez, just the fact that he could get to 2025 steals in the past would have made him still really valuable regardless of what he was doing with batting average or or Mm -hmm. home runs. But I don't think that's the case anymore. And the reason I bring it up with Trey Turner is I'm not confident he's going to get back to hitting 320. I mean, he's been hovering around 250 all year. Um and it hasn't gotten any better, and it's not like he's a big power source. So if, if he's, unless he's going to be a 40-steal guy, which he's not on pace to do anymore either, I'm not sure 20-25 steals from a suspect bat does much for me anymore outside of really deep leagues.
3: Here's the frustrating thing about Andres Jimenez. First 14 games, he steals five bags. Next 63, he steals two. I, don't, I think he has attempts two. In his next 63 games. And then his last nine games, he steals seven. <laughs> and it's like, this is a guy that we know if he wanted to steal 50 bases in this climate could do it. Cause he's not a great OBP guy, but like three twenty, that's perfectly like, that's, that's, it's not S3 Ruiz who's on pace for 80. <laughs> so like it's, yeah, it's frustrating because both him and I'm at a Rosario. I don't know what it is with the, the Guardians, but they just don't let those guys run. And they would both be a lot more valuable for fantasy if they ran to their full potential.
0: Let's slide over to third base. And two of the biggest surprises this season have been uh, Josh Young, who is the second best third baseman in Roto. He's averaging three fantasy points per game. I just checked this. He's actually the 22nd ranked overall player in Roto this season. So it it has been a big breakout for Josh Young, as has Spencer Steer, the 8th best third baseman in Roto. He's averaging 3.2 fantasy points per game. Young had an ADP outside the top 200. Steer, outside of the top 400. You probably picked him up at some point early on in the season. Scott, I did want to ask, with Spencer Steer, the expected stats are much lower. 246 XBA, 418 X slug, would you look to sell high on him? Or do you think maybe he can, he can kind of overachieve those numbers because he plays in great American ballpark?
2: I think I'm leaning toward the latter, And part of the reason I'm inclined to see the glass half full with Spencer steers, like what we're talking about with Yandy Diaz he's first base eligible. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's funny because you know, coming into the season, we would have been more excited about him being third base eligible, which he is. So he's eligible at both of those corner and field spots, and provides a smidgen of speed to go along with. Uh, just solid production all around. Is, is he outfield eligible? Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is outfield eligible? Yeah. Um, I guess
0: got he, he he, up. He's on pace for like almost twenty steals. He—he's. I just looked it
2: up. He's seventy-six percentile sprint speed. Yeah, it's pretty good. So he's I mean he's kind of become another Jonathan India basically yeah. has the same advantages going for him that India does. So uh, I I mean I I think it's fair to look at his Statcast page and and be like, "Ah, he's overachieving. I don't know if it'll last." But I I kind of think it will, you know, that to a, to a certain degree you just have to go on a hunch and 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 consider uh, the steadiness of the production so far, and the advantage of, the, of that home park, and and uh, the other the, part the, of
3: it. Who's going to give you a lot for Spencer Steer?
0: He's you know, been really like, good, but, man. He's, he's top, been really good, but he, like a this top is a guy 50 who, player. Had,
3: who had no prospect pedigree, plays in a small market, has not had a lot of hype, has been a well, must-start player pretty probably. much all season. But like nobody's going to get. But like okay, he had some prospect credit, but but nobody was like. Whoa, Spencer Steer's getting called up. Yeah, so like, like a borderline think, top one hundred. Yeah, not a borderline. People, top people are guy. rightly skeptical that he can keep this up moving forward, and I think that's just like, what do you? You're not going to get like, I guess if you could turn him into like Christian Javier, I, I think that's an interesting buy low, sell high. But like, I'm not even sure you could actually do that.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure either. I think if you're going to try and sell high on him. Like I said, he's a top fifty player right now. You're probably not going to get top fifty value, but you know, top seventy five, something like that. It's that's probably the only way I'm moving it. If not, just hold on to Steer. He's yeah. been really good, and he's part of one of the most exciting lineups in baseball right now in the Cincinnati Reds. Um, an unpleasant surprise at third place. I, I I wrote down Jordan Walker. It might not be completely his fault. Obviously, look the way the Cardinals have handled him. It's I think it was obviously. Not great how they kind of handled that whole situation, but the ADP did get pretty high for Jordan Walker. We had very high expectations. Mm -hmm. In 31 games since returning from the minors, he is hitting 288 with six home runs, one steal, four caught stealing. Uh an 858 OPS, he's hitting the ball really hard. Just too many ground balls still. That's the problem. 53% ground ball rate for uh Jordan Walker here. Chris, would you agree that he's been a letdown based on you know how high that ADP climbed.
3: Oh, absolutely, but I also feel very good about him moving forward. He's oh, I you know, agree. I've got uh, in the uh, fantasy baseball today newsletter tomorrow. Both Frank and I picked him as our uh, two of our second or one of our second half breakout candidates and like you said, he's still hitting the ball really really hard, 90th percentile average exit velocity and hard hit rate. 860 OPS since coming back from the minors I, and a 30 homer pace. The runs and RBI numbers have been very disappointing. The steals, like you mentioned, four caught stealing, but he's still athletic, so I think he'll figure that out. Uh, and I still think this Cardinals offense is going to have a stretch where they're
2: terrifying. You could have also picked Gunnar Henderson as the third base disappointment, though he's also trending a direction that that makes me feel pretty comfortable with him in the second half. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn on how to approach rookies because I know I contributed to Jordan Walker getting pushed into the top 100 and, shoot, Anthony Volpe getting pushed into the close to the top 100, right? By the time it was clear he was making the Yankees opening day roster. And then, of course, there's Corbin Carroll who's been a first-round caliber player and I look at some of my teams that are doing well and a common theme is they have Corbin Carroll on them. Yep. So, I, uh, and that's the guy who got pushed up the highest of any rookie. He was, you know, I was having to draft him in round four. But you know uh, what the key case there might be? What? Not just success
3: at the high minors, but had proven something at the major league level. You know, maybe, maybe well, that Gunner might Henderson be true.
2: Yeah, Gunnar was pretty good. That's last fair. Year, that's fair. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess maybe it depends on how the second half goes with Henderson and Walker. We're all expressing optimism here. Uh, but so far, among the rookies that we were salivating over, um, or at least I was salivating over, I guess the consensus was only only Carroll has been a, really a success, a huge success. But the others have been huge letdowns you know, that have you know really hurt you in the state. That's what we should k- expect, I think.
3: You know, is that you're buying high high-risk, high-reward players. You're buying volatile assets because you're buying guys who haven't proven at the major league level. But as we're seeing with Corbin Carroll, if you pushed him into like the top 40, you're still profiting in a major way because most players who are known quantities, they're going to get drafted within a range where it's likely they'll perform. Obviously, there are big outliers every year in both directions, but generally speaking... You know, if a player's drafted 40th, you expect them to finish, you know, somewhere around there. With the young guys, if you draft Corbin Carroll 40th, there's a chance he becomes a first rounder. Jordan Walker, you draft him 90th, there's a chance he becomes a 40 ranked player. So that that's always the thing is that it's it's an inherently high risk, high reward way to play. And it just depends on your roster and your your ability to ride the waves, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: let's take our final break here and when we return we'll talk about shortstop outfield starting pitcher relief pitcher are we really going to do that in 10 minutes I don't know heck yeah let's find out right after this welcome back and let's jump into the shortstop position and the biggest surprise I wrote down Wander Franco I think finally putting it together and living up to the hype maybe not exactly the way that we thought it would happen but he is doing it right now he's 10th overall in Roto 3.6 fantasy points per game 278 batting average 11 homers twenty. Eight steals. Much like his teammate Yandy Diaz, though he had a sub forty percent ground ball rate back in April, it's fifty-two percent since the beginning of May. And Chris, I think that's why we have seen uh, kind of a power drought here and there for Wander Franco.
3: Yeah, when you mention he's tenth overall, oh, he's tenth overall in road, not in shortstop. Okay, okay, I thought you okay because I I was gonna say like tenth at shortstop. That's no, no, okay, that makes more sense. But I think he's second he's been yeah second pretty disappointing the last couple of months uh he had an awesome april 878 ops may hit for for average but not power still stole 14 bases in may which is wild uh 730 ops in june only six steals 665 ops in july definitely trending the wrong direction but overall yeah i think you're you're very very
2: happy if you have wander franco um and he's he's somebody who I, I talked about how steals have become so prevalent that now getting twenty to twenty five isn't a big deal to me unless you can really hit. Well, there I still question whether Wander Franco can really hit, like you know, yeah. produce the kind of to, to be an actual batting average standout, to be an actual plus in power. I I still question at this point whether he could be that, but he's on a fifty steal pace. Yeah, and, and I, so- didn't, I did not think he had this in him. No. Exactly. That's that's really been a game changer for him. If he's going to be a league leader type in stolen bases, then it puts a lot less pressure on that bat to deliver uh, what we hoped it would when he first broke into the league. And I, I think I think it makes him a cinch, uh, you know, top twenty-five guy. Even if he's even if we don't think he's going to sustain top ten production,
3: he is fifty-ninth percentile in sprint speed.
2: They just
0: let him run. He's
2: got the green yeah, light. that's wild.
0: That's it. Yeah, they just they just let him go. That's Wander Franco. Uh, on the bad side of things, look, Tim Anderson, he had an ADP just inside the top yeah. 90 this season. He has the same amount of home runs as Scott, Chris, and me combined this season. So you can <laughs> do the quick math on that. Uh, he is batting two twenty three. I don't know if it's just a lack of health. Chris, we were talking beforehand. There's like some kind of off-field stuff that's been happening with mm-hmm. Tim Anderson. So all of those things combined, it's just... Seems like it's going to be overall a down year. Maybe he'll get traded somewhere and that will, you know, light a fire under him. But yeah, it's obviously been a disaster here for Tim Anderson. Uh, of course, we've got to give a shout out to Ellie De LA Taylor Cruz and, and what he's done. He's lit the sport on fire as a 21 year old, betting 325 with four homers and 16 steals in 30 games played. That is a 20 homer, 80 steal pace over 150 games. And I think we all expect the. Power to improve as he uh, hopefully reverses course on the ground ball rate a little bit there with Ellie De La Cruz.
2: Head-to-head points per game. You think a high strikeout guy like him is not going to be as good in points leagues. 4.28 head-to-head points per game for uh, Ellie De La Cruz. I'm trying to see real quick if there are other hitters who have that many. Freddie Freeman's 4.11, and he's got to be among the highest, right? Let's see, Acuna. Acuna is probably up near 4.75, so he's way up. Carroll's only at 3.9. Okay, so there you go. So, Eli De La Cruz has performed like a top-five hitter, basically, in points leagues to this point. Um, And and that, you would think, would be his his worst format.
0: Let's move over to the outfield and... I have a lot of names written down here, but the mostly positive ones, Ronald Acuna, number one player in fantasy, but it's just the way he's doing it right now. 332 batting average. He is currently on pace for, <clears throat> excuse me, 39 home runs, 76 steals, and a one 147 runs pace so far this season. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Corbin Carroll, he was dubbed a breakout by many, and uh, he is batting 289 with 18 home runs, and 26 deals. Scott, I saw you respond to somebody on Twitter asking whether or not we should try and sell Corbin Carroll given the shoulder injury. Uh, What do you think about that?
2: I get the incentive to do that, but you've got to find somebody who's not concerned about the shoulder in order to get a fair return for Corbin Carroll. I would not accept less than first round value for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I, I don't, I don't know that you're going to get those kinds of offers for them because they're just as concerned about the third as you are. And all likely, maybe you play in a league with a bunch of people who have their head in the sand, but probably not.
3: By the way, that 147 run pace for Ronald Acuna, uh, 145 runs has happened four times in the last, that looks like 74 years. Well, sammy sosa in 01 bagwell in 2000 craig biggio in 97 ricky henderson in 85 and then you have to go back to ted williams in 1949
0: crazy stuff for ronald acuna wanted to give a shout out to christian yelich who is ninth overall in roto not just at outfield he's ninth overall and lane thomas who's currently the 15th best player in roto batting 302 with 14 home runs eight steals he is also on pace for 109 runs scored 89 rbi Chris, similar question that I had for Lane Thomas as Spencer Steer. The expected numbers don't look as good. He obviously plays for the Nationals. Would you look to sell high or do you just think you're not going to get fair return for Lane Thomas? It's better to just hold on to him.
3: So in this case, the expected numbers are much worse and we do have a much bigger MLB track record of him being fine, but not anywhere close to this level of production. So yeah, I think Lane Thomas is a pretty obvious sell high candidate. It's not to say that he can't be good moving forward. But no, I don't, uh, I don't expect he, he's, he does pull the ball a lot, so that helps. But yeah, I, I don't, he doesn't have the park factor going for him like Spencer Steer does. He doesn't have the prospect pedigree, so. And yeah, I've I think, seen him, I've seen him sold high in a couple leagues already. Yeah, yeah. I think Lane Thomas is absolutely a sell high.
0: I think he's probably a good real life trade candidate too. So I, I wonder if sure. maybe yeah. going to another team, I can't say it's going to help his value because he's been so good, but, uh, maybe it'll kind very, of help offset
2: some of that. Very disappointed. He wasn't the nationals all-star representative. Uh, yeah. I saw something it. against Josiah Gray. I looked Actually, up and yeah, something against Josiah Gray.
0: <laughs> I looked up and Josiah Gray was pitching in the all-star game. I said, "What? what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, a little, that, little weird. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been fine, but yeah, Lane Thomas has been amazing for them, uh, at starting pitcher. So many names to choose from the three pleasant surprises that I, uh, you know, picked out here. Nathan Ovaldi, who had an ADP of 227 coming in. Mitch Keller at 342. Tyler Wells, complete afterthought. 580 p coming into this season. And you know, Scott, I could nitpick a little bit on all three. Ovaldi's velocity has been down recently. Mitch Keller has struggled a bit over the past month. Uh Tyler Wells has a 464 FIP and a 432 X FIP. Gives uh, would, up a ton of home runs. Would you be looking to uh, maybe try and cash in on any of those names? avaldi Mitch Keller, and Tyler Wells.
2: I don't think I would. I mean, it, it it would it would depend. Like, okay, so I'm looking at skipping ahead to some of your unpleasant surprises as a starting pitcher here, and you got Sandy Alcantara and Aaron Nola. Okay, I would trade. I would trade any of Keller Wells and Evaldi for either of Alcantara and Nola. So if that's the kind of trade you're talking about, fine. But you know, I, I I probably don't have enough excess at starting pitcher that I'm willing to give up a guy who has shown the capability of doing what they're like for the most part I believe in Mitch Keller, the velocity being down recently worries me.
3: Yeah, the, the strikeout to walk
2: ratio the last like month or so has been pretty bad for Mitch Keller. And, and Wells, you mentioned he gives up a lot of home runs. I mean, that's that's like that one point uh, nine per nine. That's a lot of home runs. He's in a he, he is an extreme fly ball pitcher, and that's part of the reason why his WHIP is so low. It, it's the double edged sword of giving up a lot of fly balls, and he pitches in a good part for someone who gives up a lot of fly balls. So maybe he's had some good ERA luck with those home runs, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty. I have a decent amount of faith in Tyler Wells at this point. Wells is the one that like, if I could get any
3: kind of useful pitcher for him, I would do that. Like if I could get anyone that I project inside the top 50, the rest of the way, I I would probably make that switch. I I don't really have much faith in him. Keller. So yeah, what I mentioned May, he had 53 strikeouts to five walks, which is outrageous. And that was never going to be sustainable. But in a month and a half since, a month and a third, I guess, 36 strikeouts in 42 innings, 17 walks. So almost a two-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. So, you know, the the thing I like about Keller is he has turned himself into quite a good manager of quality of contact. And so I think there's a high floor either way. Uh, But, you know, the the ceiling that he showed early on, I'm starting to think isn't going to be there.
0: Last point on Tyler Wells. I, I think I would aim a little bit higher if you can. Like a, I think top thirty, top forty starting pitcher value for him. I've moved him up inside. You know, close to my top forty. He's there could be some regression, obviously how, how great he's pitched so far. But um, you know he's also he's also been really good and has a really good home ballpark there with Tyler Wells. The three unpleasant surprises: Sandy Alcantara with an ADP of twenty two point eight. He's got a 472 ERA and a 125 whip. Aaron Nola, he had an ADP of 25. He's got a 439 ERA and a 111 whip. Um, And Alec Manoa, we'll talk about in just a second. But Chris, would you still be looking to buy on both Sandy and Aaron Nola for the second half?
3: Absolutely. I I know it's been a a rough stretch and, and neither of them has really shown like consistent that they're figuring it out. Like we've seen some flashes from both of them. You know, both their most recent starts were quite good, but I, I still think the longer track record suggests that both Aaron Nola and Sandy Alcantara are going to be very good. I, have, I haven't
2: dropped them outside of my top 20 starting pitchers. And, and I pointed this out. I didn't put specifics on it, but I pointed this out before I went on vacation with Aaron Nola. Like, yeah, the ERAs remained high. He's the 18th best pitcher in points leagues. Yeah. The volume is awesome. And, and a lot of strikeouts. You know, 120 strikeouts at
3: the All-Star break is a pretty big number.
0: Yeah. I mean it's just that ERA, right? That that's mm-hmm. what stands out most for Aranola. And this happens. You look at his season log and yep. it's like odd year, even year. One year the ERA is down, one year it's up. It's it's just really frustrating when it comes to Aranola. We haven't talked about Alec Manoa, um, and his first start back, which, you know, you mentioned earlier, Scott, uh made his first start with the Blue Jays last Friday against the Tigers. Obviously, a really good matchup. He went six innings, one run allowed, eight strikeouts to zero walks, 11 swinging strikes on 91 pitches. Velocity was fine. No major pitch mix changes that I could see. Zero walks. That's what it comes down to. Massive there for Alec Manoa. Uh, Scott, do you have faith? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much faith you could have after just one start, but do you think Manoa mm-hmm. could get back on track here in the second half?
2: Well, I got to say, I I mentioned my best team this year. My worst team this year was the only one I drafted Alec Manoa to be on, and I dropped him the week before his return (laughs) Um, and missed out on the bid to get him back. So that's a 15-teamer. That's TGFBI, actually. It's my worst team this year, dead last, Uh, thanks, thanks in large part to the bad times with Manoa. Like we obviously have to see more. It was against the Tigers, but I think the most encouraging thing about it was that he walked nobody and that he threw a very high percentage of his pitches for strikes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what it was, but yep. it, it 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 seemed like the, in in that one respect, it seemed like a night and day difference for Alec Manoa, and that has me encouraged. That that made it so I wanted to pick him up again.
3: Yeah, I think the the slider is going to be the key there. You know, you know, Saris has talked about the the dip in sw- slider quality since Mino's rookie season really and in this one he only had I think four swinging strikes it was like a 21% whiff rate which is pretty lackluster but he had a 60% zone rate with the slider which makes it a lot easier to to stomach the the mediocre whiff rate because it's it's harder to get whiffs inside of the strike zone but if he was consciously pitching to the strike zone in his first start back then I think that that's a good sign moving forward that he'll be able to hopefully locate that pitch. I, I, I'm i considering moving Manoa back into like the top 50 range at starting pitcher. Just because... trade Tyler Wells for Alec Manoa? Absolutely, Absolutely. No question for me. Uh, I, I, maybe <laughs> I'm... But I'm on the low end of confidence in Tyler Wells. I just don't
2: really believe in it. I think the you can get... they are so hmm. good is the other thing. I mean, you look at how useful Dean Kramer's been with like a 450 ERA. And uh, I just wonder what the floor really is for... Tyler Wells
0: I think you could probably
2: get Manoa plus
0: for Tyler Wells maybe sure. I'm just overvaluing Tyler Wells But I mean as good as the numbers are I, I would try Why not try that first to offer Tyler Wells for Manoa and another piece? Uh, if you're looking to sell high there shout out to all the fun rookie pitchers that have come up this year, too We've had Yuri Perez Andrew Abbott Tanner Bybee Bobby Miller Taj Bradley Bryce Miller Gavin Williams felt like every other day we were talking about a new uh Pitching prospect that was getting called up. Not all and of them two have of worked them have out. Even but, been good. <laughs> I was gonna say not all of them have worked out, but uh, you know, they have. There has been some fun times, and of course, we didn't mention Brandon fought either. I don't think there's any reason to mention him. The best for last. It's our king. Showtime. Just got to mention he leads baseball with 32 home runs, 302 batting average, 63 runs scored, 71 RBI, 11 steals, and then as a pitcher. 132 strikeouts. That's fourth most in all of baseball. 332 ERA, 1.10 whip, 189 batting average against. He is unstoppable. He is amazing.
3: It's Yeah, it's like even acknowledging that wins above replacement probably doesn't adequately capture his true value. He's still on like a near 12 win pace this season I mean, on baseball reference.
0: Knock on wood you know, something catastrophic would have to happen, but I can't remember a, a time that it, it feels like the MVP race is so locked up in both leagues already. Anything could happen, but I mean, yeah. Otani and the AL Acuna and the NL, it's just, those guys have been otherworldly this season. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to fantasy baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.